Let us begin our sermon with prayer. Lord Jesus, you bring light to those who dwell in darkness and make your love known to them. Enter not into judgment with your servants, but strengthen us in the saving faith and guide us unto the land of perfect peace, where with the Father and the Holy Spirit you live and reign, one God, now and forever. Amen. Our text for our sermon is Psalm 143, a psalm by David. Lord, hear my prayer. Give ear to my cry for mercy. In your faithfulness, answer me in your righteousness. Do not bring charges against your servant, because no one living can be righteous before you. For the enemy pursues my soul. He crushes my life to the ground. He makes me dwell in dark places like those long dead. So my spirit grows faint inside me. Within my heart is devastated. I remember the days of long ago. I meditate on all your works and I consider what your hands have done. I spread out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a weary land. Interlude. Hurry, answer me, Lord. My spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me or I will be like those who go down to the pit. Let me hear about your mercy in the morning for I have put my trust in you. Teach me the way that I should go, for I lift up my soul to you. Rescue me from my enemies, O Lord, for I hide myself in you. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your good spirit lead me on level ground. For the sake of your name, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring me out of trouble. In your mercy, wipe out my enemies and destroy all who threaten my life. For I am your servant. This is the word of our Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, Two Sundays ago, we preached on Job, where we are told that the devil had basically gone to the Lord and said, I've beat you. No one believes in you. And God says, oh, have a try at my servant Job. And recall, faith is the Holy Spirit living in your heart. So God was not going to let his Holy Spirit out of Job's heart. Job never curses his Lord. But Job asks, why? Now, we're never told that Job knows that Satan is working on him to try to get him to fall from his faith. And ultimately, God answers him, you can't handle the why. There's too much going on. There's too many plans. There's too much governance. Your brain's too small. But we also know that Job can trust in God's grace through it all. Last week, focusing on cross-bearing, we looked at Jeremiah in Lamentations. Job asked why. Jeremiah knew the why. He's standing and looking at the rabble. The temple's been destroyed. The city of Jerusalem is gone. And he knows this is a chastisement from God for the people of, of Jerusalem and Israel turning away from God and chasing false gods. But he also said God's still going to be true to his promises. The Savior's still coming. And he won't chastise us forever. He will lift his hand. Today... We look at David in this psalm bearing a yoke. Now, it's interesting because we don't know the exact event David's writing about, but it does seem that David in the backdrop has, when he has to flee from Saul several times in his life, David had been anointed as king, but God had not deposed Saul yet, and David wasn't going to murder Saul. And he has to hide out in caves and things like this. But David talks in generalities, and it's because that may be the backdrop, it may not, but he wants you to apply those in your life, especially in verse 3, he says, since an enemy has pursued my soul. And when we're talking about the soul, the Hebrew word there is the spark of life. They're not just trying to take away his physical body, they're trying to take away his eternal salvation. And you know who's the king of that? The chief in doing it? It's Satan. So the enemy here, always in the backdrop, is Satan, no matter who he's working through. 
And so today as we look at bearing burdens and crosses in this life, we see when the enemy, especially thinking of Satan, when the enemy is hounding you, take it to the Lord in prayer. So David begins saying, Lord, hear my prayer, give ear to my supplications. The Hebrew word he uses is really pleadings for grace. Lord, have mercy on me, please, in this situation. He says, in your faithfulness, answer me in your righteousness. And do not enter into judgment with your servant, because all living continue being unrighteous before you. Now, unique to Lutheran teaching is the idea of original sin. That we are conceived mean, lean, God-hating machines. And that the only thing that can give us eternal life in heaven is Jesus saving us. And then the Holy Spirit entering into our hearts and giving us faith in that. In Psalm 51, David had said, I, Surely I was sinful from birth, sinful from the moment my mother conceived me. But that's not the only Old Testament. There's lots of New Testament. That's not the only Old Testament passages that makes it clear that we are all born with a natural disposition to have nothing to do with the true and real God. This one right here says it very clearly, because all living continue being unrighteous before you. Very literal translation of the Hebrew. David here does not have an entitlement attitude. He's not saying, Lord, answer my prayer because I deserve this. He's not treating God the way so many do where they keep him like a, uh, something they can put in their pocket like a set of car keys and pull him out when they need him and forget about it the rest of the time. He says, Lord, if I come to you and ask you to answer my prayer, I don't deserve to have you answer my prayer. And the irony is, when we're hounded by the devil especially, if we weren't believers, if God hadn't saved us, if we didn't have faith, the devil would leave us alone. But if we think that because we're believers, God owes us to answer our prayer, that's wrong. Because God himself, the Holy Spirit, has given us our faith. So David says, give ear to my supplications in your faithfulness, answer me in your righteousness. Because you're faithful to the promises you've made to me. Because you're righteous and your son is coming, in our case, the son has come and credited us with his righteousness, answer me. Stop and think about the miracle here that you can pray to God. God is all-knowing, so he certainly knows that those who reject Jesus as their Savior are praying to him. But he doesn't hear those prayers with the heart to answer. Because Christ was perfect in your place. Because his blood daily removes the barrier of your sin. Because the Holy Spirit is living in your heart and has connected you to God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit hear your prayers and they answer them because of their grace, their righteousness, their faithfulness to the promise they make to you in the word that you are saved, to the promise they made to you when you were baptized that they are sealing the Holy Spirit in your heart. So when the enemy is hounding you, take it to the Lord in prayer. But recognize when you come in prayer what you deserve. If we come with entitlement saying, Lord, you owe this to me, we're in trouble. It even changes our perspective when we say, Lord, if you give me what I deserve, I go to hell. So I come to you thankful for salvation and ask you in your grace to hear my prayer. And he promises you, he does, and he answers according to what is best for you and in the time that he who is all-knowing knows is best. Now David in verse 3 brings the problem to God. Since an enemy has pursued my soul, he's crushed my life to the ground. He made me dwell in dark places like those long dead. And definitely the backdrop of him fleeing from Saul and, and living in a cave, like they used to bury the dead in caves or dig them out of rocks. So it seems he's making it very clear there's an enemy who really wants to destroy him. 
But again, it's very interesting. He says he's crushed my life to the ground. And if that was just a mortal earthly enemy, we could really accept that. He's really coming to destroy me. But the Hebrew word he uses first since an enemy pursued my soul. Like I said, that's the spark of life. The biblical definition of death is when the soul is separated from the body. They're meant to be together. If they're trying to destroy his soul, they are trying to destroy his eternal salvation. This is a different kind of enemy. This is not some petty little grudge where the kid on the playground with the unibrow that's thick and bushy is going after the kid whose mother has given him pretty eyelashes by plucking them and cutting them and trimming them. No, this is an enemy that wants to destroy eternal life. And the person who does that is, in fact, the devil. And that's, we forget that. The devil's trick in America is to make you trust all in science and by trusting in that, to just forget the devil exists. Or if you think about him, he's some cute little cartoon guy with a, with a little pitchfork. The devil is very real. And you have another enemy. And you take him with you everywhere you go. He is the puppet of the devil. That is your sinful nature. Going right back to what David said in verse 2, because all living continue being unrighteous before you. That sinful nature is the puppet of the devil. And the devil pulls his strings. And your sinful nature doesn't even want to hear the word of God right now. Because it knows it's its eternal death. That's going to be ripped away and destroyed when you go to heaven. The new man that the Holy Spirit's given you is going to live. And how does the devil, using his puppet, the sinful nature, how does he tempt you away? He uses the world. The world allures you away. And some of the things it allures you with can be used in good stewardship to God's glory. But when we start letting the nicer house or, or when we start worrying about putting uh, our stomach and in, in, in always staying away from the word of God, then the world has got us. So, brothers and sisters in Christ, in America here right now, because of amendments we have that guarantee us the freedom of religion, we might not know what it's like to have somebody write into our town and ask us if we believe in Allah and Muhammad as his prophet, and if you answer anything but in a very strong affirmative, they cut your head off or blow you up. We might not have that right now in America. But don't forget, the devil is working hard. He has one goal. He doesn't care. The unbelievers, he's done with them. He wants you in hell. and He's out to destroy you. When hard times come, you may be suffering a medical illness just like your neighbor, but the devil can be using that to get your sinful nature to sit there and say, if God loves me, why is he letting this happen? So recognize your burden here. You are in a fight with an enemy that apart from the true Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you could not stand up to. It would crush you. He says, so my spirit grows faint within me. My heart keeps on, the Hebrew really says, desolating itself in horror. In English we say, I'm knocked out of my senses because of this. This hounding he's got is impacting his very existence. He is feeling it. When your faith is that weak, when the devil has attacked you that much, it's not a weak faith to say, God, I can't take anymore. So we see, recognize your burden. You have a God who understands this. He knows your burden. He knows you can't stand up to the devil. He knows your sinful nature is one out the moment you're conceived. And that's why he took on human flesh. That's why he carried the burden of your salvation, the burden of the punishment for your sins on the cross. He's already defeated the devil. Revelation says he's been chained by Christ's death and resurrection. That for a short time God will allow him to run amok. But God still is in control. 
The devil's been defeated. Your sinful nature's been defeated because God has put the Holy Spirit in your heart and given you a new man. And the world with all of its temptations are defeated because God has promised you a new heavens and a new earth, has told you that he's ruling over this world for you. So, knowing your burden, now you need relief. Verse 5. I have remembered days from long ago. I've muttered while thinking about all your deeds. I keep meditating with thanks and praise on the works of your hands. My own Hebrew translation is clunky, but I want to bring out those words. What does he mean, I've remembered days from long ago? Ancient days. He's thinking about God in all time. When he says, I have muttered while thinking about all your deeds, we often translate that meditate. But have you ever thought about something like you're doing a math problem, you don't realize you're actually talking out loud while you're doing it? David looks at the deeds God has done. The deeds of delivering Israel out of Pharaoh's clutches, uh, saving them from Pharaoh's army, the miracle of conquering the promised land. The deeds, David's looking ahead as well to his taking on human flesh. And the works of God's hands. God's the one who made all this. He's the one who's in control. And the devil was a fool to ever think he could get control of it. So David recognizes where his relief is. He's pondering the word of God that tells us all these things. When you feel like your faith is being shaken to the core, go to where God promises to reassure, to strengthen your faith. Go to the word and sacraments. Apply that word as David is doing to yourself and to your situation. The relief comes by being in God's word where God is talking to you. So he says in verse 9, Rescue me from my enemies, O Lord, for I've covered myself in you. This is such a beautiful verse. I could preach a sermon on it. You know in the horror movies where the person's so terrified from fear, they're sitting there just screaming as the bad guy comes at them, and suddenly an arm reaches around the corner and pulls them to safety? Lord, the enemy's at me. The devil's got me. Pull me away to your safety because I'm locked up in terror. I cannot stand. And again, God's already done that by taking on human flesh and saving you. So he says, for I've covered myself into you. In English, we'd say, I have clothed myself with you. This is the wedding dress of the bride of Christ. You as a member of the invisible church of all believers are the bride of Christ. It is Christ's righteousness. Lord, rescue me. I'm not righteous of myself. But I have Christ's righteousness. You have clothed me with Christ. So when the devil throws his darts, his accusations, there's this sin, there's that sin. You don't deserve this. God looks at the devil and says, I don't know what sin you're talking about. All I see is the blood of my son poured all over this person. I see my son's bride. David continues recognizing where his relief comes from. He says, for your name's sake, O Lord, you keep on preserving my life. He says this, this keeps on happening every day in the original Hebrew. Not because David deserves it. We've covered that. We've just about beat that to death already. But for God's name's sake. Recall, God writes his name on you in your baptism. Property of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. His name represents what he does for you. Like the name Jesus, it means Savior. Because God is a gracious God who has determined to bring you to heaven because he is a gracious God. That's the reason why God keeps on preserving your life, both temporal and eternal. He continues, in your righteousness, you keep on causing my soul to go out from distress. Time and time again, that hand reaching around the corner and yanking the person into safety. Because God is righteous, he doesn't lie to you. Because he's credited you with his righteousness. Because he has clothed you with his righteousness. The devil attacks. And when God says that attack has served enough 
And my, my little lamb will take no more. God removes you. He pulls you out from that. He causes your soul to go away from that. Feed you with his word and his nourishing supper, the body and blood of Christ. So he continues, and in your committed love you keep on, literally in the Hebrew he says, annihilating my enemies, and you keep on exterminating all who attack my soul. For I am your servant. Sometimes we get to see this. When unbelievers persecute us, we get to see, sometimes God blesses us to see what they do fall apart. But we know the devil's already been conquered. He can, all he can do is accuse you of your sins, but you're wearing Christ's righteousness. All God sees is the blood of the Lamb. Your sins are removed. So he says, for I'm your servant. And being a servant of the Lord is not a bad thing because that means you're his child. You're a prince and a princess in his kingdom. And we serve the Lord by trusting in him. So we see when an enemy is hounding you, take it to the Lord in prayer, not just recognizing what you deserve, but recognizing your burden and recognizing where the true relief comes. Like I said, I, I was raised in Wyoming, so I was taught, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. But when it comes to eternal things, God has to do that. So recognize the relief. All you can do is flee to the Lord and let his word and sacrament strengthen you, and that's exactly what God does. But also, God answers your prayer what is best for you, but he does it in his timing, what he knows is truly for your eternal well-being. So David says I, in verse 6, I've spread my hands out to you. My soul is like parched land looking for you. And he has that Hebrew word, selah, which means let's stop and chew on this for a minute. I've spread my hands out to you means, Lord, I've taken this to you in prayer. And what's he saying there? Now I'm waiting for my answer. My soul is like a parched land for you. When, when a drought comes, all the land can do is wait. The rain will eventually. It may be years. It will come. David has a strong confession of faith. I've prayed to you, and now all I'm doing is waiting for your answer. I know your relief is coming. So he says, hurry, answer me, O Lord, my spirit is spent. I know you're going to answer, but I ask that you bring it quickly, because I'm really exhausted by this. Do not hide your face from me, or I will become like those who go down to the pit. Now, a pit, just that, a pit. You know, you fall into that and you're there. Prisons at this time were often just pits. Sitting there in darkness, you can't help yourself, and it can ultimately be the grave. A person in the grave can't raise themselves from the grave. What he's saying is, Lord, my enemy is at me so hard that only you can deliver me, and I know in your timing you will, but hurry. I'm really feeling desolate by this. So he says, bring about the event of my hearing your mercy in the morning. Again, the Hebrew word for mercy here is committed love. This is reiterating Psalm 130. As the watchman waits for the morning, he knows if the enemy's coming, he's not going to see it in the darkness unless they have torches. But when the sun shines, he, all is exposed. Lord, I know you're going to answer, and I know you're going to deliver me. But I need it to be soon. So let me hear tomorrow morning the good news that you are coming to pull me out from around that corner of terror. What strong faith. This is true hope in the Lord. Not hope that says the Lord may disappoint me. It's I confidently expect. It's not a matter of if. It is a matter of when. The Lord is going to do it. I just got to wait for his timing. So he says, bring about the event of my knowing the way that I should walk. For to you I lift up my soul. My life's an offering to you because you gave your life for me. I live for your glory. So bring about the event of my knowing the way I should walk. This is kind of transitioning us into our next part. In all this with being attacked, I want to fall. Show me what you want me to do. That's the life of guidance by God's word. So, so far we've seen that we want to recognize what you deserve, recognize your burden, recognize your relief, recognize that relief is coming when you take things to the Lord in prayer. In the long run, David also prays, 
give me guidance in all this. Show me what I should do. He says, teach me to do your will in verse 10, for you are my God. Now, lots of times Christians want to know God's will about things because they know what his will is and they don't want to admit it. Guy comes up and says, Pastor, I lost my job and things are tight and I saw a job in the newspaper working as a bouncer at a house of prostitution. I think God wants me to take it. No, I don't think so. God has commandments about this. Pastor, things have been hard, and, and I, I have a decent job, but I've been offered a job in another state. It involves a move. Does God want me to do that? Well, obviously, God has allowed that up to you, and he promises to bless you. But ultimately, if you want to know what God's will is for you, look to the Ten Commandments. Those are how we thank, praise, and glorify God. If you want to know God's will for you, look to the good news of salvation in Christ and look at your baptismal certificate. God's will for you is that you be saved, which he has done, and that you glorify him now using the law, not in order to be saved, but that's how we bring glory to God. And that's why David says, for you are my God. Show me, even in this persecution, when I want to fall, how to walk in a way that glorifies you. He says, may your good spirit cause me to be led on level ground. They're building a walking path right outside our church here. And of course, to do it, they level it out so it's a nice, smooth path. The Holy Spirit smooths out our path in this life by giving us God's law, which points out our sin, shows us the high spots, and gives us God's gospel, which removes our sin, which gives us salvation. So recognize God's guidance in your life. Again, David here writing while bearing a heavy burden. He's being attacked. And the ultimate enemy for you and I is the devil, the world, and his puppet, our sinful flesh. So when the enemy is hounding you, take it to the Lord in prayer. Recognize what you deserve. If you're going to say, God, you owe this to me, it's not, that's not the reason. God is gracious and he will answer your prayers, he promises. So recognize your burden. What you're truly is coming is the devil's attacking you. Recognize your relief comes by God saving you, by the word and sacraments that tell you and reassure you of that. Recognize relief is coming in God's timing. No, God is going to deliver you in his perfect timing. And recognize God's guidance in our life. Sometimes he uses these hardships actually to grow and make us stronger in him and, and to help us to struggle against those things. Amen. Now glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now and will be forever. Amen.